The book of Proverbs is exactly that. It's a collection of Proverbs. And if you decided just to go read the book of Proverbs this week, you probably got confused a bit in it because there's no real theme. There's, it, it is just a collection. We believe it was Solomon who put this book together, but we do know he collected a whole lot of Proverbs. And if we understand the numbers that are given in Scripture, he collected a whole lot of Proverbs we don't have. But this book, we've got. I need to warn you about this book. This book was put together for a specific purpose. It was put together to make sure his sons didn't make his mistake. Therefore, it is very male-centric. Very male-centric. Please, when you read it, know that and realize you can use this and flip it over and make it female-centric. You can give the same kind of warnings to your daughters that he was giving to his sons. That's why, for example, there'll be a whole lot of things about don't marry the wrong woman, but there's nothing about don't marry the wrong man. He's just talking to the boys. If you know Solomon's life, you know why he would need to talk to his boys. He had made a lot of mistakes. He didn't want them to make the same. So, also remember this. Two basic truths about Proverbs. They are generally true. But they're not always true. They're generally true. And again, that's not knocking a proverb. A proverb is something which is generally true. It's not an edict of God. Also, they need to be read in the spirit of the day, which means sometimes they will contradict each other. Did you notice that if you read the book? Some will say, don't take advice from too many people because that'll get you all messed up. And another one will say, only a fool doesn't take advice from too many people. Uh, there are a lot of things like this in the book. Why? Because it comes from a parent. And parents contradict themselves. <laughs> we do. You don't have to nod. I know you're nodding inside. <laughs> parents contradict themselves. So it's a collection of Proverbs. There are times it'll say, have friends. Other times it'll say, don't have very many friends. We give different advice depending upon the situation, do we not? That's what this book is. There are quite a few ways to organize the book, but it basically is don't destroy your life. Don't poison your life. Don't put time bombs in your life. Look for wisdom. Next week, we're going to talk about the wisdom. What does God mean when he says to look for wisdom? This week, it's don't make things harder than it has to be. The Bible puts it in the older version of Proverbs, make level paths for your feet. What does that mean? Well, everybody here knows that, uh, well, I found out that I can dance, but only if I step on a Lego. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, um, and, and sorry for the visual, but this is important. We all know that there comes a time to clear a path in the house so that you can move through it without danger. Make level paths for your feet. Now, the NIV phrases it a different way. In Proverbs chapter 4, uh, we're going to take a look at that. In fact, Proverbs chapter 4, starting at verse 23. Do we have that? Above all else, guard your heart. This is important. Everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. 
Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or left. Keep your foot from evil. Now that verse 26 is how it is now translated in the NIV. Instead of make level paths for your feet, give careful thought to the paths for your feet. What does it mean? Well, it basically means just don't make things harder than they have to be. Just don't. Don't poison your life by making things harder than they have to be. Here is in the Song of Songs, uh, which is sometimes called the Song of Solomon, we're warned to guard our hearts. Don't fall in love with the wrong person or the wrong thing. Now, we're going to talk a lot about the wrong person today. But you need to understand the way that the Semitic or Hebrew mind worked. As he's talking to them about the dangers of adultery, he's also talking to them about the dangers of falling in love with work, with power, and with stuff. The adultery is the way that he gets the message across. Warnings against adultery. But the root of all pain and problems in Proverbs is rooted in you fell in love with the wrong thing. You weren't paying attention. You didn't keep your eyes straight ahead. I think I've told the story before, but whenever I was learning, I was taking flight lessons, and I thought I was getting pretty good until it was my turn to do all the landing without him putting in any input. And I'd land and bounce, and land and bounce. And after a while, you know, you're bunny hopping down the, air, the runway. You've got to make a decision one way or the other. And he'd say, hit the power. We've got to go back up and around. And go around and find it third, maybe the third time. He said, oh, I see your problem. And I said, great, what? And he says, you're looking down. I said, down's where I was planning to go. And he said, don't look down. I said, how will I know? And he says, look where you want to end up. That made zero sense. I'm running physics in my head here. And I'm going, that's just, it worked. Every time, it worked. Proverbs says, keep your eyes where you want to go. Pay attention. Make level paths for your feet. Solomon knew what it was like to get distracted, and he knew the cost of this. But it's been a persistent problem for us for millennia. So why are we still following, falling for it? Well, we haven't paid attention. So Solomon decides to, to use chapters 5 through 7 with a little break in chapter 6 to walk us through how we get entranced. And he is talking mainly to his boys, and he is using adultery as an illustration. But I want you not to think of adultery just now, but to think of a roll of paper towels. You probably use them every day. Or, if not, your car keys. Where do you put them? Do you put them inside a Tupperware container, in a locked box, on top of the refrigerator, with a blanket over it, and a sign saying, beware the leopard? Or do you let them just be where you can get them? There are times we can put people, and yes, I, I stole Beware the Leopard from Douglas Adams, the first of his um, wonderful Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy of five books. I'm not explaining that. Um, the, don't make it that hard. If you've got a roll of paper towels, you don't put it in a locked box somewhere. You have it where you can use them. You don't make life harder than it has to be. That's what he's going to go at here. 
the failure of most car makers today. They know people want an infotainment system in their car, one that'll do all of their MP3s, play all their music, that will do all this. And so what do they do? They put it in there and they put so many features in it, you can't use it. It doesn't work. You know, it, it'll play a nice song as you're wrapped around a tree. But then, or a GPS unit that has so many features, it takes a long time to find where you're supposed to go. Don't make it harder than it has to be. How are we wooed into destroying our lives? We can show you how. Let's start with Proverbs chapter 5. Let's put up verse 3. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. It all starts with words. The number one reason that pastors leave the ministry is actually a tie between money and struggles with leadership. Number two, adultery. And if you're thinking, the first time I saw that, I went, what? We're supposed to be the good guys. How'd this happen? Well, studying it over the years, it became very obvious. Because the women who saw the pastor only saw the good side of the pastor. They only saw him when he was being holy. They didn't see him the rest of the time. And therefore, they had this lofty view of him, and they said very nice things to him, and words got it started. Now, I'm not blaming the women. Don't get me wrong here. The men take a huge amount of blame in this book. Solomon calls the, the, the men that would be involved in this all kinds of names. But words begin it. It's, it's fascinating in Scripture. Men are wooed with words, if you don't know that. Women hate being manipulated. Men love being manipulated. We really do. If you say, honey, could you open this jar? It's going to get opened. It might take C4 and backing over it with a Jeep, but it's going to be opened. <laughs> and we're going to tell you, it was easy. We can be wooed. The greatest words a woman can hear are, I love you, while the greatest words a man can hear are, I respect or I admire you or you are great. It is that that he looks for, he longs for. That's why in Ephesians 5, a man is called to, told to love his wife and a woman is called to respect her husband. Why? Because that's really what he's going for. That's what he wants. And so what do we do? Whenever we find ourselves getting entranced by the words, not just of a woman, please remember, this is a bigger story. By work, by power, by placement, by stuff, by a busy schedule. Almost said schedule. Got to say schedule in Tulsa. They have no idea what kind of shed you're talking about. <laughs> how, how, do we, how do we deal with this? Well, take a look at this verse. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 8. Keep a, to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Distance. Isn't it interesting? Paul had a son in the faith, Timothy. And he, he didn't say, when you, when you come across youthful lust, think about Jesus. Be strong. Remember what you... No, what did he say? Run. Flee youthful lust. Distance. That's what it takes. Get out of there. Why? Because you can't handle it. Any guy that says he can is wrong. He can't run. Get out of there. And why did he say youthful? Because youthful lust is more energetic. 
Older people lust too. They just don't have opportunities or energy. <laughs> Run. Get away. He didn't say guard against it and be strong. He said get out of there. Get distance. Don't become entranced with another person, with another thing, with another whatever. And we can do this so easily. We can get, be so entranced with sports that we never show up for church. We can be so entranced for politics that we start speaking angrily about our brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree with us. We can, get, we can divide about anything, can we not? I'll never forget the we had, there was a preacher meeting in the area where we first moved back to America in the late 80s. And uh, there was a preacher meeting, and they asked me to attend, and I'm sitting there. And they all said, we need to study so that we can be more united. The meeting lasted one meeting because they couldn't agree on the version of the Bible to use in the study. <laughs> and I went, behold the metaphor. We need, friends, to realize anything can entrance us and get our eyes off of Jesus. So the cure, according to Solomon, this is important, people. You want to be at peace in this world? Like what you've got. Want what you have. Like what you've got. Want what you have. Look at chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. That's the way to put it. It's a metaphor, again. You, you love what you already have got instead of putting your eyes on something else. I'll never forget, I was just a, a wee boy, but hearing my dad say, a man with, with five kids is richer than a man with five million dollars. And I thought, why is that? And dad said, because a man with five million dollars wants another one. Now, that wasn't terribly comforting, but he had a point. When do you have enough money? When do you have enough stuff? When do you have enough to sit back and say, I like this. This is what I'm going to work with. As Paul would say later, in whatever situation you find yourself Learn to be content. Solomon takes a break here to illustrate that it's not all about adultery and sexual situations that will ruin your life. He speaks of laziness, the lack of a work ethic, the lack of just doing what you know you're supposed to do. You know, it's one thing. My, my three-year-old grandson sat at the table evidently for two hours in a battle of will with my daughter over what beans or whatever would be eaten. That happens when you're two or three, does it not? But whenever you're 16 or 17 and it's doing your homework so that you can actually get a job one day and you're balking at it, you're not growing up. Many of us have sent in our, our taxes. My wife and I have been married for 35 years. We have never yet held hands and skipped while whistling to put our taxes in. There's another visual, but work, just work with me, all right? We're not thrilled about it, but we know it's got to be done. So you do it, and then it's done. He says, work. Don't lay down, work. Keep your head on, point forward. 
And why? Because in chapter 6, he says this in verses 23 through 25. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. Correction and instruction are the way to life. Keeping you from your neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. And notice that he's going after the guys here because she can't captivate you unless you've already lost it. Guys, he's saying, you started it. You started it. And then the opportunity just came along. And again, it's the way she talks to you or the way the world talks to you. The way she looks at you. Ladies, by the way, it applies to you too. You know men can be very smooth talkers. I'm told. Not me, but there may be others who have skills in this. And, and they, can, they can woo you. I know of one, one Christian lady who left her husband to, to marry this other man. And they got started. He was working at the same hospital. Let's study the Bible together. He was using that to get hurt. The Bible says watch out. Watch the words. The words are pretty important. You know that the way a man looks at you can be very powerful. If you don't believe that, just go to any bookstore and look at the covers of romance novels. Somebody's looking at the woman and she's looking back and it starts there. Again, Solomon deals here with the law of consequences, a law that's basically forgotten today. It used to be that if the kid whose job it was didn't get early enough to the school to start the fire, everybody was cold all day. When in our day of throwing switches and consolidation loans and payday loans and such, we get away from consequences, we think. But the law of consequences will catch up with us. If you commit adultery, he says, you will get burned. You're putting heaps of coals in your lap. There are consequences. So Solomon walks his sons through the process. In chapter 7, a woman is looking for someone, not just you. And that's the thing. Somebody will come to you and say, we've been looking for you. No, they just, they've been looking for somebody and you were available. And that's whether it's the world, whether it's a sexual situation, whether it's the thing not what commercial comes on and doesn't act like this is all about you. We made this for you. You need this. This is important for you. This will make your life better. All they're trying to do is get your money and get power that way, but they act like this is all for you. Just be aware of it. You don't have to go through life better and paranoid. Just be aware of reality. Take, there's a guy walking aimlessly in chapter 7. The, world, the, the way he is walking never ends well in Scripture. Remember when David walked aimlessly and ended up the Bathsheba situation and murder and treason and shame? When you walk, have somewhere to go. Teens, by the way, you're not going to like this bit. This is why your parents want to know where you are and why it bothers them a little bit whenever you say, they say, what are you going to do there? And you say, oh, we don't know. Well, we're just going to hang out, have fun. We understand that mainly what you mean is you want to be with friends, and that's, not, that's okay. But without an aim, things can go wrong quickly. And that's why parents will they'll go back to this and say, this started with the, the guy 
walking aimlessly where he shouldn't have been. In Proverbs chapter 7, verses 7 through 10. Let's put that up. I saw among the simple, that's he's talking about the guys. I noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense. I wonder which of his kids he was looking at when he said this. He was going down the street near her corner. He was going close to danger. Walking along in the direction of her house, he'd already made up some mind here. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in, kind of hidden, then out came a woman to meet him dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. I know that sounds crass and awful, but we all know what that means. Let's go to the next. Oh, no, not next yet. I'm, that's right. I wanted to interject here. She tells the young guy, by the way, that she's a good person. She goes to church too. She says, I have fulfilled my vows. I've done all the good stuff. She also says that she was looking for him, but the scripture says she was looking for any simple one to come along. She also says that this is going to, be, this is going to feel great and be very, very pleasant. She even describes it for him. Sin, the reason people sin is because it does feel good for a while. Why do people take meth? Have you seen somebody on meth for a long time? There is nothing more destructive to the brain and the body than meth. Then why do people take it? Because for a while, it works. Feels good. That's why. And she says, this will all be good, and there are no consequences. My husband's on a long journey. No consequences. A lot of fun, no consequences, nobody will know. That sounds very familiar about every sin we've ever committed, doesn't it? Regardless of what it is. Take a look at chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And again, couldn't have gone unless he was already like an ox. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, until an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into the snare, little knowing it'll cost him his life. See, the more she talked, the dumber he got. We have to be prepared. We have to put up walls. The big mistake was allowing his heart, the, the phrase heart, to turn to her ways and stray into her paths. Again, ladies, if you're getting very offensive here, you haven't paid attention. This can be turned around in every single aspect as a warning to the daughters about men. Can it not? We can even add something, and that is that men are physically dangerous when they are on the hunt. We don't talk about that much, but men, very, the, the sexual drive of youth can become very dangerous to our young women, and we need to talk about it to our young women. So take these and turn it and, give, and, and share it. We're, we're going to sum all this up. But we're going to sum it up not in Proverbs. we go all the way over to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. Let's put that up. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, everything, not just sex. Remember, that's a metaphor. Everything, or an example. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Where is your heart? Where are your eyes? What do you crave? What are you looking for? And where are you finding your meaning, your comfort, and your love? 
12-step programs have an acronym to help their members take thought and to perhaps to stop them from falling. It's called HALT. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? And using those is a way to stop, to make them stop and think first before they move. The problem is that most of us would rather react rather than think. We don't take thought, we take action. God tells us, take thought. We're called to be a thoughtful, purposeful people with aims, directions, goals. We're not to wander the earth without direction, but to keep our eyes firmly planted on Jesus and the kingdom of God. Our last scripture this morning is out of Matthew chapter 6. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They, they do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here, here's the money verse. But seek verse, first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. I'm going to call the team up as I wrap this up. And they'll sing one more song with us as we close. The world will always tell you that they can give you what you need. The world will always tell you that they can give you what you want. But they have given the same thing to everybody else and look at the state the world's in. It doesn't work. I've often said, we're so stupid. All of us agree. Drinking and driving is wrong, and yet bars have parking lots. And stores sell it cold. We've never learned. And so God says, get your eyes off the world. Get your eyes on God. Be happy with what you have. The world wants to market to you and use you. God offers you unconditional love, salvation, meaning, purpose, and dignity. Choose God. Let's stand and